So, hi everybody, good evening. Um, Supposed to remind me to start a tape, perhaps? Uh, it's already started. <laughs> One of the few times I've started before somebody reminded me, but <laughs> thank you. <laughs> That's great. Uh, 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 let's see. So, um, a little bit, I wanted to just mention, acknowledge my hat that I was wearing today, which I've gotten a lot of compliments about. And uh, I wore the hat in the Pride Parade today, which, and I see a number of people who, who I saw in the Pride Parade today. How many people were on the parade? Just raise your hand. Oh yeah, a number of people I didn't see on the Pride Parade too. Great, great. Great to be there with all of you. And uh, it was very moving parade actually, which, and I'm not a parade guy personally in, in general, and I'm not even a big party guy in general, but I had a good time. And, um, and I appreciated very much the sentiment of the parade today, especially post the tragedy in Orlando. And uh, so I was thinking about talking tonight and I thought I would start with uh, 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 a teaching from the Buddha, from the Samyutta Nikaya. He said, it is in this way that we must train ourselves. It is in this way we must train ourselves by liberation of the self it is in this way we must train ourselves by liberation of the self through love. We will develop love, we will practice it, we will make it both a way and a basis, take our stand upon it, store it up, and thoroughly set it going. This is from the Buddha talking about practice. And I'm, I think that's a really appropriate way to think about what the parade is about. It's about the love of being real and the love of being free and about the love of being who we are and not being who people might think we should be or how we should be. And when I say who we are, I mean in whatever way one is um, because I think that's one of the key teachings that the Buddha opens up for each of us. And the, the phrase that I often quote here, that I'll quote from the Zen tradition, they often say, uh, when people ask, oh, how do you practice? Oh, just be yourself all the way to the end. Be yourself all the way to the end. And that's a, that's a beautiful understanding of what the Dharma and practice is about. Because there's, you can't be mindful if you're not real about what's here, whatever it is, whether it's the right thing or the wrong thing, right? And here's part of the paradox again, is there is no wrong thing, paradoxically. And yet, we want to be aware of what's skillful, what's unskillful, what's appropriate at times, what's not appropriate. And then sometimes we want to be aware of what's, appro what's appropriate even when it's not appropriate. <laughs> okay, I hope that made sense. Um, and, and especially in light of what happened last week, and we talked about it last week, 
when Alex Alexis was here, <coughs> I I was just reading the newspaper, which many people don't read anymore. But I'm old, so I like to read the newspaper. I like to just look at the paper and read it. And I was reading about. Um, somebody who was preparing, who was an MC at the parade, uh, 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 Honey Mahogany. She was a, a, a drag queen who was serving as an MC, and she was really, she was ye yesterday at the, you know, um, at the plaza at City Hall, and she said, "Do not allow anyone to make you live your life in fear." fear. Do not allow anyone to live your life in fear. And that's a beautiful understanding. That's a beautiful teaching for all of us. Whatever our um, particulars may be, right? Because we all have different particulars of who we are and what we do in the world and what our economic status is or what our religion of origin is, or what our nationality is, or what our race is, or what our education is. We all have different particulars. And of course, any of those particulars can be judged, right? It's easy to make judgments about people, and people do that all the time. And so not to live a life based on somebody's idea about who we should be but learning how to actually be ourselves all the way to the end. And of course, that's a, quite a beautiful Buddhist way of understanding practice. Be yourself all the way to the end, even to the end of self, which is a more refined understanding of what happens at a certain point. And it's not that the self is gone, it's that we're not limited to the usual sense of self. That's part of who we are, and that's a normal part of who we are. And, you know, at least over here it's called Eugene. And Eugene's cool, and, you know, I like Eugene, and I'm not trying to get rid of Eugene, but Eugene is not all that's here. There's more than just the history and the idea and the construct of Eugene. And so the Dharma is paradoxically both personal and impersonal at the same time. And that's a, that's a very key understanding in my view, is how to be, how to be aware of oneself, of Eugene. You're not, you don't have to be aware of Eugene, but Eugene needs to be aware of Eugene, at least to start. And then also to be aware of what's not Eugene. What's here that is not based on my history or my family or how I think of myself or my ideas or my beliefs, but there's something here that is not bound by those conventional, ordinary, and very natural human realities. And you see, so you could just start to play with it. Just feel the life that's within you that is within you, whether you identify as a name or person or a gender or sexuality or race or religion or nationality or anything, that life is in us before any of the particulars. And it's all 
we don't have to get rid of the particulars, we just don't want to be only limited to the particulars. And so I'm going to continue about today uh, and the parade because, again, reading this article, uh, which I read after I got home from the parade tonight, um, uh, talking about what happened. Um, and this is, uh, and there was, a, there's, there was a lot more security at the parade because of what happened in Orlando. And there's been a lot more security all weekend at the uh, Civic Center. So you had to go through metal detectors to get into the party. And so somebody said, regardless of the security, a drag queen named Bunny said this year's celebration was clearly different. It's more personal, Bunny said. It's more of a movement and not just a celebration. We don't want to be silenced. We don't want to be silenced. And then another person, Stephanie Parrish, said she moved to San Francisco two months ago after serving in the Army as a man for 11 years. Right? She said, pre-transition, I was so terrified because I couldn't be myself. Because I couldn't be myself, said Parrish, who was wearing a pink satin gown and carrying a rainbow parasol. parasol. I feel so liberated. Right? And there's a key piece here that's very important for because the Dharma is, in my understanding, first of all, teaching us to be ourselves totally and be real with ourselves and be aware of ourselves. And that awareness is the beginning of liberation, of what's needed for liberation. It's being ourselves all the way to the end. And, and it's, it's not based on our idea of what liberation is, but about being aware of the reality that's sitting right in our seat right now, that's thinking and feeling and having ideas or reactions and liking or not liking what I'm saying, which is all fine, totally fine. Um, it's better if you'd like what I'm saying, but if you don't, it's okay. That's good too. But the awareness, right, which allows us to be aware of what I'm saying and what you're thinking and what's happening and what you're feeling, the awareness is quite free already. The awareness, the awareness is not bound to what it's aware of. That's confirmation, external external confirmation of what I'm saying. Um, and when I say that, the awareness is not bound to what it's aware of. It doesn't mean that we don't get bound to what we're aware of. Right? I just want to keep making sure that's clear. But the awareness is not bound. You've all, you've all I hope, seen, even in the little sitting we did, Right? Whatever you were aware of, you weren't you didn't weren't in control of what was happening, but you were aware of all of it, whether it was right or wrong, good, bad, Buddhist, not Buddhist, right? You were still aware, whatever it was, 
even if you were thinking about the Warriors and the fact that they lost that game and what a drag it was, you were aware, the awareness was there. And so it was very uh, beautiful to be at the parade today. And I've never uh, done the parade before. I've been in San Francisco 40 years, something like that, long time. And, uh, and I actually, when I first moved to San Francisco, let me see if, yeah, something like that, yeah, 40 years, uh, I lived in Eureka Valley. How many people know where Eureka Valley is? Few people, good, yeah, not many. So Eureka Valley was um, the Castro before it was the Castro, right? And when I got to Eureka Valley, it was like a working class neighborhood in San Francisco, and it had all kinds of people and, you know, hippies, of which I was a little bit out of that tradition. And, <laughs> and there was, um, uh, you know, other people, you know, of different cultures, Chicano, Chicano, uh, 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 people who were, um, you know, uh, uh, had some money, people who didn't have much money, and there were some gay people in the neighborhood and all. And then the neighborhood changed quite radically and actually pretty quickly after I got there. And it was quite interesting to witness the change in the neighborhood because I came from Detroit. And Detroit is very different than San Francisco was very different. I don't know how Detroit is now, but and Detroit was really uh, actually quite a good place to grow up where I grew up. I have very positive feelings about Detroit and the mix of Detroiters I was involved with, which was very, uh, I learned a lot in Detroit and a lot of good things. But, um, but it wasn't very gay friendly in my world, right? That just wasn't part of Detroit. There were a couple places I heard about right, which were gay, but I didn't know much about gay until somewhere in my teens, in my teens, my brother was in college, and he, he and his girlfriend got pregnant, had a baby, and his girlfriend was a real beatnik, like for real beatnik, like we, we hadn't met anybody like her before, and, and, uh, and she was kind of wild, and she'd been gay before she met my brother for a number of years and very relaxed about it and open about it. So, and, and then she had a lot of friends who were gay and so people came to our house with my brother and his wife and all. And, and I remember my parents were like, they were like trying to get it, like what was going on? <laughs> And then they, I remember my mother saying one time, she said, oh, I started to understand. I, it took me a while to understand. That was all she said. But I got what she meant, which is she, oh, these people were gay. And she didn't, that wasn't part of her world generally. And so, and so it's been, of course, for me, living in San Francisco in Eureka Valley, becoming the Castro, um, and it was pre-AIDS, and so it was a very uh, adventurous time for the gay community. 
And so I learned a lot very quickly about the gay world because I was there and I'm, I'm not gay, but I was there and I'm, you know, I was younger, so I was cute. And um, so I got a little bit of attention from time to time when I went out in the street. And, you know, I had my reactions to it. And then I also learned to relax about it and also appreciate, you know, I'm glad I look good. You know, that's good. You know, we, it's not a bad thing. And, um, but, it was, but it was something different that I didn't know. And it took... Re being re relating to that community in a real way to learn about it and to discover uh, what that is, you know, really, and what it, what it is to be yourself and not have be bound by the bias or prejudice or fear of others, which is important for all of us, whatever our orientation is whether it's man, woman, trans, gay, straight, or some, uh, some language I don't even know yet, right, that, uh, that describes one, or rich or poor or black or white or, or brown or, or whatever it might be, you know, that, that is some of the ways we define ourselves. Um, we don't want to be bound by any prejudice and there's prejudice with anything everything I'm uh, you know one of the things I learned so I come from a really working class background you know lower class working class background and and, um, and I and I was you know I got very involved in left-wing politics when I was a kid in New York when I moved when I left Detroit I I, I wasn't a school guy at all, so I was just happy they finally graduated me from high school, which I had to plead for. And, um, and I thought I would go to college, but I was like, no, that is not for me. So I moved to New York, and I ended up getting involved in radical politics in New York and did street theater, radical political street theater. And now I'm trying to remember how I got to here, how is it, to the street theater. Oh, I remember. So I had a lot of prejudice against capitalism, right? I was like not a capitalist. And I had a brother in New York. He had a teeny little store. He made gargoyles. Very cool, actually. He made gargoyles, and he was an artist, and that's what he did. And he, had, he now had, um, this is the same one who had the wife in, in, in Detroit, they're in New York with two kids, and he's making gargoyles and making a living. I mean, he had a walk-down store, you walked under the street to get into this little store. It's actually pretty cool. And, uh, but, but, like, I got, I thought, oh, he's just a capitalist pig, you know. <laughs> you know, I was young and, and, um, you know, had some understanding and a little ignorance and, you know, but prejudice and, and prejudice against people with money because I was radical now. And so you see how any identification, whatever is the opposite of that, we can be prejudiced against. And it was very interesting to become, I became Many years later, I went to school and did college and all that stuff and became a therapist and then became a Dharma teacher. 
And especially being a Dharma teacher, I, I've met with many, many, many people over the years, including rich people. And it always really amazed me how everybody suffers. Doesn't matter what the conditions are, right? Which, where we are, where, what part of the particulars we're part of or identified with, everybody suffers. And that is one of the more, at least in my own experience, humbling realities for all of us to give because it, it evens us out, whatever the differences are. And there are differences and there are problems that come with prejudice and bias and, you know, whatever ways it comes, whether it's around sexuality or racism or, or, or economics, but, but still we're all suffering. And it was one of the things we talked about last week when we talked about Orlando was our, was our we did some loving kindness for the victims and the people, uh, the families, friends, community of Orlando, but also and, and for the suffering of the people, including the suffering of the perpetrator. Who, why else would you do something like that except that you're suffering? And it's, a, it's an ignorant way to respond to suffering. It's a harmful way. It's an unskillful way. But it's just an expression of suffering. And that helps us understand reality better in my view and my limited understanding. And so all of this, I'm still trying to get back to the parade now, so I'm just going to jump there. You know, the reason why I went to the parade is it was very personal this year for me, which is a very close friend and colleague and person that I've worked with now for many years. Uh, Larry Young was uh, elected a Grand Marshal of the parade, and that's a big deal. So it was a big deal to go, and I wanted to support Larry, and uh, and so I I went, and um, of course, because Larry's also a Spirit Rock teacher, Spirit Rock got excited about the parade for the first time, <laughs> Me meaning meaning we had a we had a trolley car, we had a San Francisco trolley car that said, you know, um, uh, 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 Spirit Rock Meditation Center and East Bay Meditation Center, which is the group that Larry helped start many years ago. Uh, this is our, you know, our part, of, our part of the parade, along with many of us who walked. Many of us didn't ride on the car, but we walked. And, and so, and of course, Zen Center also had a car and uh, and people, you know, and they wear nice black robes, so you really can see who the hell they are. I mean, we we got these T-shirts, which was great. I I was amazed Spirit Rock did that. I didn't even know they were going to do it until I got there. And of course, I wore my T-shirt at the parade, and uh, and and there was a big Buddhist contingent, and this is the first Buddhist contingent in the gay pride parade since the time of the Buddha. 
<laughs> and every, the Buddha used to do it every year. He didn't have any problems with it. But, um, so it was very moving to also be in the parade. And here's something I didn't know until we got in the parade was, oh, you walk in, you know, and there's people lining the streets and you, you kind of wave to them or you, you do something or you, people are doing this or this or this. And, and, and they're cheering you. So I haven't been cheered like that before. <laughs> I've been dissed in many ways, but I haven't been cheered. <laughs> that is not my, that is not egocentonic for me. <laughs> uh, so that, it, but it was very moving to see how many people were there and how important it is for all of us to be exactly who we are and to be real about it and not to have to hide it or deny it or pretend or do something else, but to really live our lives and be real people in every which way. And one of the paradoxes that I like to talk about about the Dharma, both internal and external, is I think we all know if you practice for any amount of time, one sees that um, practice starts to heal our pain. It starts to free, free us from the pain that we've all suffered, whatever it's been, a body, heart, and mind. That's part of being a human being. And it's not like, oh, we're getting rid of all the dukkha, right? And for new people, the word dukkha is commonly translated as suffering. but. Um, Hi. Hi. Um, uh, but, but it means we start to learn how to work with it kindly, skillfully, carefully, caringly, and being real so we can keep continuing to be ourselves. But also that practice is not just about us. It's about us in the big sense. It's about all of us. And so to not be aware of dukkha, collective dukkha, is not, in other words, individual dukkha is not the end of dukkha. There's also collective dukkha, and we want to be aware of both. We want to start to be able to be skillful, kind, compassionate, and even fierce when needed to deal with dukkha, individual dukkha and collective dukkha. <clears throat> and so being aware of what's here is where we start, but also being aware of what we don't see is also part of practice. Starting to open our eyes collectively to this world is part of what we're doing, and it's it happens on every level, meaning in terms of today, it's about, it's about um, sexuality, gender, you know, orientation, things like that. But it's also about um, ecology. It's like if we don't pay attention to the whole world, we could blow the whole thing up. 
we could we could destroy the whole thing, right? Everybody, I, I keep th thinking everybody knows this now. Maybe that's not exactly accurate, but it's, it does seem to be the picture that if we don't take care of the world ecologically, we're going to keep causing more and more suffering, more dukkha, more problems. And of course, I could go on and on about, I mean, it's the same as true in terms of racism, that I, this country has never dealt with its racist history and origin. And so it continues, and we're still learning how to get real with it for all of us. And it's same is true about the other isms of whether it's local or national or international. At some point, we have to figure out how to wake up together, which is, I believe, what this t-shirt said, which was a lovely phrase, waking up together, because that's, uh, that is key to real freedom, to waking up for all of us. So here, this is just some of my notes when I was writing after the, before I came today. Individually and collectively exploring separation, ignorance, and repression, whether it's around sexuality, gender, gender orientation, sexual preference. One aspect of the collective suffering around straight and gay or racism is a separation, a separation into us and them us and them. We create these divisions that we make up, actually. There are, the, there are the differences that are here, but the real separation, we, we keep making that up and has been made up for many different reasons, for many different ways for, for individuals and communities to um, solidify their identities. And when I say that, I mean predominant uh, communities to solidify their identity over the, uh, the dominant community over the smaller community. And <clears throat> awareness of prejudice does not create suffering. Awareness of prejudice does not create suffering. It reveals suffering already present in the community as a whole together. And it's interesting because I believe we all have our experiences of being different, whatever the differences may be. And I've said a bunch of differences tonight, and so I'm not going to re repeat them all again. But I was, I was reflecting on my own experience with prejudice and with the difficulty with it, <laughs> because there's something to that we've all been judged for, whatever your particular is, there's some way that there's been a judge or reaction or not liking who and what you are in some way, shape, or form. <clears throat> and so I was just thinking about that in terms of myself growing up in Detroit and being Jewish and being uh, not middle class, not college educated. My parents, my dad never went to high school. I think my mother graduated high school, but they weren't middle class even. 
and then, and of course, they survived World War II, which was a very difficult time for Jews, given the prejudice in the world about Jews who were slaughtered. And, um, and then I had my own dukkha, which was, you know, my, my own suffering as a person, as a kid, uh, which is I was uh, technically crazy. <laughs> which I don't think of it that way, but this is how I was categorized, right? I was put in a mental institution when I was 14, and um, because I quit school, here, just for those of you who don't know me, I quit school when I was 14. You can't do that, that's illegal. And so at some point, the government told my parents that they need to do something about the fact that I'd stop going to school and, um, and, um, and if they didn't, they would put me in juvie, in juvenile home, which probably not a good idea for me, given I was young and short, and I, I don't think I'd even gone through puberty yet, right? So, um, so my parents didn't know what to do, and they somehow they got enough information that they could put me into this uh, mental hospital in Detroit, and it was a public mental hospital but a locked mental hospital. And, they, and, they, and so I had, a, I had to make the choice. Was I gonna go into the mental hospital or go into juvenile? And you know, I'm like, I'm not going anywhere was my idea. <laughs> but, you go back to school? Pardon? Could you just go back to school? Maybe I could, but I, that wasn't in my mind either. I wasn't going back to school. That was, that's a really wise way to think about it. <laughs> But uh, no, no, it was a big deal. I, but I was, I was having problems. You know, it wasn't just oh, I was you know liberated, and so I wasn't going to school. You know, I was, I was a kid. Really, what what they ended up diagnosing me with was adolescent adjustment disorder. <laughs> yeah, right. Which everybody has, but mine was a little extreme. So. So anyhow, finally, my, my oldest brother, the one who I've mentioned, uh, he came and talked to me and he cried. I remember this, I touched even saying it, he cried because he was scared for me to go into juvenile. And I realized, okay, I've, I've got to go to this hospital. And I went and actually it was a great hospital. It was a long time ago. I, you know, I was on a locked ward for adolescents, but there were no drugs. I wasn't given drugs at all, I was given individual therapy, group therapy, uh, um, uh, physical therapy. I, I can't remember all the different things they had. It was, it was actually really helpful. And I learned a tremendous amount. And I, from, from the hospital, I ended up going back to school while I was living in downtown Detroit at this hospital and then going, taking a bus to go back to school. And it was totally, it was very freeing because I was crazy now. Now, and I mean that seriously. Like that's how people saw me and were thinking about me. So I went back to school and the teachers were afraid of me because I was crazy. And or at least that's what they thought. And, and, I, and, and so, and also good things were happening in therapy and all that stuff. And it was like, oh, it just amazed me. There was this one woman who was a, a assistant principal who was very tough, but I could see, oh, she was nervous about me. She didn't know what to do. 
you know, she, she didn't want me to go crazy, right? And so, and she was very kind also. And so it was very, I learned a lot. I learned a lot very quickly. And, um, but still it was very, it was a big deal here. Here's an example of prejudice. Like I was in the hospital, this is not, and so I'm in an adolescent ward. There's all kinds of kids, right? Every nationality, race, economics. I mean, it was, it was a scene, an interesting scene actually. And I, and I remember like, this is like the second night I'm in the hospital and I have a roommate, right? You don't have your own room. It's not, it's not it wasn't that upscale. So, yeah, and, um, and I'm telling, talking to this other kid, he's probably a little older than me, and he asked me something and uh, he said something about, you know, are you Catholic? And I said, no, I'm, I'm Jewish. And he said, you're a kike? I, you're not a kike, are you? And everybody know what a kike is? Is that, some people don't know what that word is. It's the word like if you have a, a, a swear word for being black, which we of course all know, the N word. This is the N word for Jews is kike, right? K-I-K-E. And I don't know how it came about, but that, that was a very common way to be prejudiced against Jews. And I was so young, I'm like, no, I'm, uh, I'm a kike, yeah, don't worry about it, I'm, I'm being real with you, I'm, you know. And anyhow, we ended up getting along fine, but, but it was very different than the world I'd been in, you know. And um, so anyhow, so we've all had our experience with something about us not being the right thing. Right? Or being the wrong thing, or being the bad thing, or being the not wanted thing. And if you haven't noticed that, you haven't paid attention totally to your life. Because some people will react to other people. It's just what happens. And the paradox for us in the Dharma is we're all here together. And that is a radical understanding of the way things are. And it's not just an intellectual idea, but there's a real truth to starting to learn, discover the realness of all of us, even with our differences, even with our different histories and our different cultures and our different understandings and our different ways of perceiving reality. That's really the best thing I've said. The different ways of perceiving reality, because we all have slightly different perceptions based on our conditioning, and our conditioning is different. And what I've learned to love and appreciate about working with my own prejudices is that they limit me. They limit my understanding, they limit reality. And so when my prejudices fall away because I'm willing to talk about them, confront them, be real with them, see and, and learn from other people, it's, it's freeing, it's freeing. It lets something free up that I didn't even know would free up, that I didn't even know wasn't free. And that, to me, is very important. And it's funny, I have, I have an association. It's not exactly 
the right one, but of course I've told many of you, right, I have had hep C for many, many years. I've taken Chinese medicine for many, many years to treat it, but it didn't cure it. And then they've come out with medicine that cures hep C, and, uh, and it was $100,000 at first for a treatment, so I was like, I'm not doing that. And, uh, and I kept doing my Chinese medicine, and then it went down, and then I, I did a bunch of things to figure out how I could hustle that medicine. And then Kaiser, which I am a Kaiser something in their world, um, they said, okay, we'll give you the medicine, period. It, it's, it came down from 100,000 to 70,000 for, for um, you know, 60 days of one pill a day, right? Which, again, it brings up my radical left-wing side about capitalism, but I won't go there too much right now. So anyhow, so I took the hep C, I took the medicine, and in one month, my viral load went from five million, five million, that's the viral load I had for hep C, down to less than 20 in one month. And then you still take the medicine another month to totally get rid of it. But what I didn't know, and this is the association I'm having about my bias and my prejudice, what I didn't know was the virus was affecting my consciousness in ways I wasn't aware of. And really what started to happen, and my wife kept pointing, she'd say, oh, you're different, you're different, you're clearer, you're more this, you're more that. And I started to realize, oh yeah, I've had an illness for many, many years and it had an impact on my consciousness that I was so used to, I was just normal, right? This was just me. And it's the same thing with prejudice, bias, racism, whatever ism one is against. We don't see how it colors our consciousness so that we end up are not seeing things really. And so, and that's exactly what I've seen in my own prejudice as it falls away. It's like, oh, there's more to the world than I knew. And it's not just my view that's needed. It's all of our views because their reality is sitting in each seat here. And that's invaluable as far as I'm concerned these days. Here, um, so this is appropriate, right? Um, um, this is from Martin Luther King. He said, all life is related. All life is related. This is, it's such a key understanding. All life is related. Somehow we're caught in an inescapable network of mutuality tied to a single garment of destiny. All life is interrelated. Somehow we're caught in an inescapable network of mutuality tied in a single garment of destiny. For some strange reason, I can never be what I ought to be until you are what you ought to be. I can never be what I ought to be until you, meaning each of us, is what we ought to be. This is the interrelated structure of reality, right? And this is part of what 
fueled Martin Luther King's bodhisattva movement of towards freedom. <clears throat> and the paradox is we need each other, whether we like each other or not, whether we're the, what you think somebody should be or not, we still need each other. And that's challenging for all of us. When um, gay marriage got started to get formalized in this country, Obama said something quite beautiful. He said, this is the result of countless small acts of courage. This is the result of countless small acts of courage by millions of people across decades who stood up and slowly made an entire country realize that love is love. This is the result of countless small acts of courage by millions of people across decades who stood up and slowly made an entire country realize that love is love. And I'll end, I just have a lot of good quotes, so I'm gonna end with one more. Okay, I have a lot of, I love my quotes, I have to say. <laughs> oh, so now I'm trying, to, I'm trying to debate about which one to read, because this is from Tubton Children, a woman, a Tibetan woman practitioner, nun. She said, many people have the misconception that spiritual life or religious life is somewhere up there in the sky, an ethereal or mystical reality, and that our everyday life is too mundane and not so nice. Often people think that to be a spiritual person, we must ignore or neglect our everyday life and go into another special realm. To me, being a spiritual person means becoming a real human being. Become a spiritual person means to become a real human being. So I'm gonna stop for now. We have some time. If you have any thoughts, feelings, comments, please come up to the mic, thank you. Turn it around. Thank you. Great. Hi. Hey. Um, good evening. And please say your name. I'm Robin. Robin. Um, I guess first I should um, thank you again for being so generous to have this and to um, you know, show us all that you know, your particular practice has been like I know it sounds. Part, pardon, I missed I it. There was um, something moving in the back there. Yeah, I was saying that um, thank you for showing us all that your particular practice of enlightenment. Somebody used this term in the sermon today in church about the practicing homosexual, and the guy said, I'm not practicing, I'm actually very <laughs> 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 That's a good line. <laughs> and, um, but yeah, that's your practice of um, moving through life and being enlightened because we can be enlightened and not be there yet at the same time. Right. Um, it involves, you know, being willing to be um, humble and embarrassed. And I know 
share something that I didn't want to share. Yeah. And, um, you know, I guess before I ask my question, I should um, make sure that I give something. Um, I, I was thinking about, um, first of all, there's this great documentary I saw at um, the public library called Unity. It was released in 2014. It's worth Googling. Okay. Documentary 2014. 2014 called Unity. Yes, okay. It talks about the nature of being, eating, spirituality, and soul, and war, so on and so forth. Okay. Um, but um, I was thinking about what you were saying about the interconnectedness of life and the idea of self. And the reason why I became interested in this at a very young age was because I saw much, much death, including my parents. And I, I realized that if they were going to die, then maybe one day I would die. Like maybe that day would come soon. Mm -hmm. And I became obsessed with um, the fountain of youth and immortality and finding a way to make sure that Robin survived, mm -hmm. you know, to be around. And I started off studying religion and philosophy. And then I became very interested in astrophysics. Mm -hmm. And of course, I learned that those two aren't necessarily separate disciplines. What? They're not separate disciplines. Uh -huh. um, and so I came across this one video, including Neil deGrasse Tyson. He talked about how people will say that a drop from the ocean is a part of a, you know, a part of something bigger than itself. but we forget that when you take a single drop of water, that will drop becomes the universe in itself. It contains worlds and mm -hmm. many different life forms. And when you go and you drill down, it, it becomes its own universe, and it can be subsumed back into a larger universe, but it is wholly self-contained. Mm -hmm. And to go on to summarize and make it quick, he said, keeping that in mind, that if there if a wave is a motion that the ocean makes, the entire ocean is involved in making the motion of a wave, we should remember that our own individual lives are a motion that the entire universe is involved in making. Mm -hmm. um, my body contains maybe four trillion cells, and each one of those cells has its own individual life, mm -hmm. probably some ambitions right. and goals. And, um, I won't reveal how old I am, but at some point during my life, none of these cells that I have in my body right now existed. Uh -huh. And despite, you know, that I have all these new cells and a completely new body, I'm still the same personality and the same consciousness. And likewise... Wait, wait, wait. Life, say that again about the consciousness. What did you I'm say? the same person, the same consciousness. I'm Robin. You're the same person, okay. Yeah, Robin, even though none of the cells that existed in, uh -huh. say, 1986, uh -huh. are there anymore. Uh-huh, yeah, yeah. Um, and, um, so, and what's the, what's the question? Oh, yeah, inclusion. So, that's true. Um, when we look at the world, the world is an organism, uh -huh. and it has many component parts, and those parts can be born, live, and die. Yeah. And yet, the world remains. Likewise, with the universe and the galaxy and the clusters and the superclusters of stars. Mm -hmm. and, um, and so, when we talk about, like, say, a cancer, an overly ambitious cell that has an environment in which it can find a way to grow in excess and cause death of the entire system, mm -hmm. you know, we likewise can do very similar things on the world stage. Mm -hmm. 
But my question yeah. <laughs> um, okay. was about, um, you talked about making, eliminating the division between meditation and the rest of our lives. Yeah. And I thought that was really cool because I like to aspire to do that, but I was very interested in knowing ways that I could really drill down and focus on that better. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so stay here for a minute. Let's talk, because you said a few things. I just wanted to clarify. Um, I never think of myself as enlightened. I think I know a little bit. I've learned a lot, and more to learn, and we'll see what happens. And uh, it's not even a word I like much. I like uh, awakening or realization more than enlightenment, which came much later as a translation Right, in my understanding. So just wanted to put that in. And then, um, yeah, and I love what you said about the property of water and this, you know, the wave and then the cell and then and there's a whole world in each cell, right? And But the cell is part of a bigger wor world and that's very much our experience of what's here, right? Eugene is here, there's, there's a self and then but that's not the end of the story of what's here, right? Eugene's part of, you know, and I can give you a lot of different Eugene's part of, right? Um, and then, um, uh, and there's something you said that I would challenge a little bit about um, uh, Robin's here. It, it's not the same Eugene who's here. Right? Eugene keeps being uh, made up moment by moment. And there is some thread that is familiar, and there's some thread that's not familiar, both. And that's a paradox I'm still really interested in. But, but that's, you, I, you were here last week, I believe, right? And I don't, I don't know if I said this, but you know I had a bad accident. I've talked about that here. And that was uh, very liberating paradoxically also, right? Because it's all practice. It's all practice. And because well, what else is it? And so the, having that orientation can allow us to start to see everything as practice, whether it's work, relationship, friendship, you know, the warriors. I mean, it's all practice. You know, Steph Curry, Bodhisattva, totally, as far as I'm concerned. And, and, and also the team knows a tremendous amount about the power of Sangha. And so it's the lens we're looking through creates the world. Because, of course, somebody else is not going to come in and say, oh, yeah, the warrior's great sangha, <laughs> right? No, they're not going to. But looking through my eyes, total sangha, right? And you, you already know a lot. And the little bit I've talked to you, I get it. Okay, you've done a lot of practice. You know a lot. Trust it. It's already here. You don't have to find more. It's already here. Now you hear my pitch. I'm, I'm going to pitch it though too, because it is here, and and so see what happens. You know, spend this week and see what happens if you make everything practice in a very relaxed way. 
them. Okay, does that make sense in terms of your? Yes. Yeah, great, great. And let's see what happens. And I'm, I'm, I'm here next week, and so, you know, let's, let's see. And if you go totally enlightened, even though I don't <laughs> like the word, come back anyways, okay? <laughs> That's what's up. Thank you. <laughs> okay. Thank you. Uh, please. Uh, pull it down so it's facing your mouth directly. Yeah. Hi, I'm Giovanni. Giovanni? Giovanni. Great name. Um, it's my second time here. Great. We'll let you in twice now. <laughs> I uh, want to go back to your first quote, I believe, where um, you quote a drug being saying, don't let anybody uh, let you live in fear. Yes. That's something. Yeah, that was from yeah. one yeah. of the people at the parade, at the, at the celebration this weekend. Yeah. And I feel it resonated with me in another way. Okay. Um, and usually my reaction to that when I'm aware. Um, that someone or something or a structure is being put in place to sort of prevent me from being myself. Mm -hmm. uh, my my reaction is of uh, anger, uh -huh. and I realize that that's also not a very skillful act. Whoa, 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 whoa! Okay, the anger is fine. That can be a very skillful reaction. You don't want to just act on it, though. You want to be aware of it and aware of the energy because the energy can have a Manjushri kind of energy, a sword-like energy, a Vajra kind of energy, which is needed sometimes for clarity to come forward. So the energy that you're calling anger, yeah, you don't just want to go and hit the person. That's not skillful. But the vump, this is Eugene language now, vump, may be very important in order to respond directly or respond skillfully to what's needed. And, and check it out. Check out if you're afraid of the energy or you don't like the energy or there's some judgment about the energy because all ang anger is is energy. It's when we believe it or when we're identified with it that it's not, and, we, and then we want to act from it, you know. That's not so skillful. But the aliveness of it, sometimes that's really important. Okay? It takes some practice. Yeah, well, play with it and don't hit anybody. <laughs> it's generally not um, hitting someone, it's more actually. I notice it's an energy that's consuming inside. Right. So pay attention to what happens body, heart, and mind when anger is here. And watch what your mind is saying, right? Because usually there's a lot of he's this or she's that or I'm going to and they did and blah, blah, blah. You know, da, da, da. And we get very enchanted by our mind talk rather than staying very present in our bodies with the anger. And, and there's a center that's not so um, uh, strongly mentioned, but it's in Buddhism, right? The head center, right? Wisdom and all that, right? The third eye, you know, traditionally, archetypically. And then, of course, the heart center, you know, love, metta, compassion, right? 
the belly center, the hara in Buddhism, is an important center. And it's part of the instinctual aliveness of what's here. And it's an important center to start to land in for all of us to be able to land in our bellies. And then the anger starts to metabolize. Okay? Thank you. Sure, you're welcome. Okay, we have, I'm sorry, we have to stop. We're at, we're at nine o'clock and, and they're not happy with me if we're out of here too late. So let's just sit for a minute and we'll go. Taking a moment just to appreciate our time together, the blessing of having a time, place, teachings that start to help us be real, be who we are, be ourselves all the way to the end. May the blessings of our practice be for our benefit, for the benefit of one another, and for the benefit of all beings. May all beings be happy and peaceful. May all beings be free from suffering, free from dukkha, free from the misunderstanding, the confusion, the ignorance, the, the stress that comes for human beings and all beings that live. May all beings be free. May we all awaken. May we all be real all the way to the end. Thank you everybody, good to see you. I'll see you next week. Please take good care. And if we have a few people who can help with the cleanup, thank you. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.